Hey, everyone. Welcome to the very last episode of the season. Pretty crazy. The season's flown by. I cannot believe we've done this is going to be our 12th one. But we did want to purposely take a little break and from the beginning make this a podcast with seasons. Biggest reason is with all of my marketing, I'm kind of a big believer of like, you should experiment, do something small, test it, but also take a step back. I think when you just keep going and keep running, it's very easy to just keep doing without improving or realizing, you know, is this really worth it? Like, we've loved doing this podcast so far. We've seen some great early signals, but we're also a small team and we have to take a step back and think, you know, is this working? Is this making impact, achieving what we wanted to? So that's what we'll be doing. So hope you all understand that we'll be taking a little break. In the meantime, I love any feedback. We're hoping to come back next season, bigger, better than ever, really make some improvements. But it's been a lot of fun. And so this episode, we really just kind of wanted to reflect on what the first season of the podcast has been like, both how it's impacted like working together at Nevatic, our time at Nevatic, learning about sales and marketing, and then doing a podcast for the first time. This was my first ever podcast, a lot of learnings, things that went well and not. So if you're thinking about a podcast, hopefully this can also be a helpful episode for that. So for the last time of the season, Ben, what you drinking? I just officially finished the bottle of whiskey that I've been using for old fashions for the majority of the season. So it works out very well timing wise that we are now officially over because that bottle is gone. That's so ceremonial. Oh, that makes me really happy because that feels right. And it feels like this wasn't just artificially the last one. It was because the bottle of whiskey was over. It worked out really, really well. I don't know if I'll touch alcohol again until the next time we uh, do this podcast, because for those of you who don't know, this is pretty much like the only time that I ever drank is during this like 30 minute recording every week. So I'll update you on, on whether or not that continues. I guess we don't have an offsite before we start recording again. So I was going to say that's not true on our offsite, <laughs> but that's not till October. So we got some time. That's true. And also ceremonially, I'm back to my red wine. Um, it might be because it's the same bottle that was open last week, which apparently you're not supposed to do with red wine. You're supposed to drink it in like five days, but it felt wasteful to open another one. So back to my Josh red wine. It's a classic. It's good. Comforting. Recommend it to anyone. Felt like the right place to end the season. Cheers. Cheers. So then my first question for today is, you know, as we've done this podcast, there have been actually plenty of times where, funny enough, I learned something about you or sales that I'd never thought of before. But I wanted to hear from you first, like, what new did you learn about marketers? And then anything that's really surprised you or also anything that kind of confirmed what you already knew? And you're like, yeah, marketers do just think about this. And talking to marketers made me realize that even more. I think a lot of what I've learned about marketers hasn't necessarily just been throughout the first season here of Revenue on the Rocks. It's obviously been working very closely with you, Natalie, over the last two years and just sort of seeing everything that goes in. And I think I'm getting more exposure than most because you are a one-person marketing team at this point. So you're sort of doing everything and anything. I'd say my biggest takeaway and something that I think is a good learning for anybody in sales is marketers are not exclusive. They do not exclusively exist to bring you leads. Believe it or not, there's a ton of other shit that they are responsible for, that they are in charge of, that oftentimes is more impactful or bigger than how many leads are you getting on the inbound router on a weekly basis. Things like brand building that are so impactful and can be felt all the way through the quality of the leads that you get, the faster deal cycles. And that sort of brand building activities is extremely strategic. It does not happen overnight. So I have completely bought into, and I know there's been that clip floating around from one of the very first podcasts we did of me saying like brand over everything instead of revenue over everything. And I definitely still feel that way. The second piece of the biggest takeaway I have is 
the majority of guests that we had on who were in marketing roles, one thing that was a common denominator across all of you is you are extremely metrics and analytics focused and everything is measured, which I think prior to Revenue on the Rocks, recording these podcasts, chatting with all these marketers, I kind of just thought that marketers were creative, had all sorts of ideas, honestly, would just throw a lot of shit at the wall and see what sticks. And I'm sure there is a little bit of that, but you were all extremely hyper-focused on how is this actually working? How is it performing? How can I prove this to our leadership team? You know, we chat about RevOps a little bit. How can we actually track the impact it's having on sales? So I would say how measured marketers are is a new learning and certainly something that I need to apply a little bit more to my role. First off, was going to say when you mentioned brand, like, oh, brought me back to that first episode where I just remember you saying brand is king. And I was like, it's perfect clickbait to get people to watch our first episode. So that was awesome. But appreciate the comment about us being measured. And I think part of the reason that you, you know, love to hear that marketers are measured and that we've seen that is we've really selected marketers to be on the show who we know, who that we've worked with before. We've seen their results. And I think that's just becoming more and more prominent in B2B marketing world is especially right now, we have to learn how to prove ourselves. I mean, again, that's why we're taking a little pause because from some vanity metrics, it seems like the podcast is working, but I want to really dive in and figure out, you know, has it made an impact on brand? Has it made an impact on our followings? I even learned today about a tool that could potentially show what companies are listening to your podcast. What's the tool? Should we give them a free shout out? Not a sponsor, but uh, what's the tool? It's called Co-host. We're open to sponsors slash if you want to come on as a guest. Yeah. Co-host, come on. And then we'll uh, give us co-host for free. I think on the flip side of that, a lot of what I learned about sales, kind of similar to how measured marketers are. Like, I think there's a stereotype that marketers, first marketers, you know, we measure a lot and sales just goes on gut intuition. And it's kind of frustrating. Like, why? Like, we measure everything. Why aren't they? But how right they often are. Like, I already sort of knew that. I already knew that checking with you about gut feel, usually the data validated it. Or that like your qualitative input met sometimes even more than the quantitative data. But what's cool to hear you didn't realize like how much sellers, I guess, how obvious it was to you all and how non-obvious it was sometimes to marketers and just learning how other marketers have sort of tapped into that and used that as their way to get better. I think that was a common theme with a lot of marketers they talked to is they did have close relationships with sales, kind of why we brought them on the podcast. It's kind of like a funny hack. It's like if you're just close with sales, you can steal the things they say instead of having to come up with your own marketing copy. Like, I almost never think about marketing copy anymore. And I hate writing copy. Like, I'm not a writer by trade. So really just like go steals what your sales team says. That's a big learning. I like it. I Do you think that's maybe why most startups hire revenue-driven, well, I don't want to say revenue-driven roles, but like a salesperson first and then a marketer second is because a lot of what the salesperson does, at least at a very small company, is like, you are the scout. You are the one who's exploring the market in the world and you're trying to figure out who the market or I'm sorry, who the persona is, the ICP is and get some sort of formulation of what that is. So then when we bring in a marketer, a lot of that has already been formulated and now the marketer can do their thing and be very strategic around attacking the ICP that the sales rep has identified. Yeah, that's a great point because there's like so much conversation I see on LinkedIn or I even get the question of, you know, when should I hire a marketer? When should I bring yeah. in a growth person? And if you don't have any foundation of who your ICP is, no one that they can get knowledge to, obviously the marketer can go out, interview prospects, customers, but it is kind of like a cheat sheet. Like I remember when I joined talking to you and being like, what is our ICP? What do we think about? And soon coming to similar conclusions, but it really helped hearing, okay, sales is validated. that This is their easiest sell. And it's funny when we ran all the data and I was like, wow, again, we learned what sales knew all along. Sometimes I think back to that, that ICP decision, I guess you would call it. And like, it worked out obviously incredibly well. 
I think like so much of like startups, honestly, you can just attribute to luck. Like you hit the market at the right time. You have a product that everybody has an appetite for. You get kind of lucky on guessing who your ICP is and like it takes off while like other vendors are looking elsewhere. Is it oversimplistic to say that the main reason I decided like, hey, we should really be focusing on, on marketers is because it was the easiest sell for me? Like sometimes like that just feels so oversimplistic. But when I was on, you know, 10, 15 net new calls a day, talking to a wide variety of personas with different use cases for interactive demos, the ones that were closing the most and closing the fastest were marketers. So I was like, all right, screw it. Like, give me all these marketing leads. And like the rest of these, at least for now, can take a backseat. I'm like, looking back at it, it was the right, obviously, decision. But I'm like, man, it was such a simplistic thought that went into it. And like, maybe in true sales form, like it wasn't super measured. It was just like, I feel like these close the best and the fastest. Let's go after these. But then we looked at the data and they did. You know, if our salespeople feel like, especially if you have enough at-bats, something is easier or it's a simpler conversation or you see the prospect is more delighted, there's probably a reason for that. And when we did measure and drill down to the data, it perfectly validated. So I don't know. I think sometimes we overcomplicate things by measuring it. I think you always want to confirm your biases by measuring. But if you're looking for a place to start, just like ask sales. Like, I don't think enough marketers or leadership teams sometimes do that. Because it feels like, oh, we can't just make a decision what feels good. Like maybe it feels good for a reason and we could get data, but it's going to be half made up because we really don't have enough at this point. Yeah, I know. We're like, the question I was really excited to ask you is if you were to go back and like talk to Natalie from, you know, almost two years ago when you started, what advice would you give her? What would you do differently? What would you change? And I think looking back, one of the biggest reasons that Nevada has had a lot of success is we follow the simple path. We made pricing really easy. We made buying our tool really easy. We made our sales process extremely simple. There's so much to just like simplicity because when people think about like building a go-to-market function or a team broadly, you think that there's so much to go into it. There's so much to learn and figure out. But honestly, if you can figure out who your ICP is and then figure out a way to make it dead simple to find them and allow them to buy from you, it's actually a lot simpler than people give it credit for. I'm trying to think an answer to your question. And I'm not trying to say I've done everything perfectly, but no stretch of the imagination, but maybe doubling down the ICP faster. But I kind of think we had to learn from it. Like, to be honest, sometimes the fastest way for your team to learn is to get burned. Like, you can shout and scream. And as we've talked about many times in this podcast, for me, bring up topics till Ben does not want to listen to it anymore. But we didn't change pricing until we had, you know, a bunch of prospects complaining to us. It sucks, but sometimes the best way to learn things at a startup is just let, if you can get it a little burn, like don't let it screw over your entire company. But if you can let people try something and see it doesn't work, sometimes it's much more powerful than proving while the opposite is going to work. I would say pivoting more to like advice that I would give somebody in a first time seat. You know the business, especially if you're in a selling role, you know the business honestly better than almost anybody, maybe even your founders. Why? because you are talking to the people who are actually buying from you. The reason I want to call this out is you need to be very like strong in your convictions because you're going to have so many freaking voices all the time pulling in all these different directions, these different ideas, these different thoughts. You need to be very, very selective and careful around like which ones you actually listen to and deploy. And at the end of the day, I think something that Nevada did very well is we listened to some of the outside noise but we always prioritize what we knew from our customers over everything else. So it's like, should we raise our costs? Well, I don't know. We're like, it seems like we've hit a sweet spot over here. You know, should we focus on all different use cases or just hyper-focus on marketing? It's like, well, we, we know that there's a huge appetite here for marketing. Let's just focus on that. You know, 
get an upsell contract and sell a seven-figure deal. These are all amazing things, things that we have in motion today now. But initially, I think it's really, really, really important to like have very high conviction in what you know and what your what your customers have told you. And that's the what you should base your entire world around for like, I don't even know how long, a year, year and a half, two years, whatever that time frame is. Like never prioritize anybody else's other thoughts or advice over what you're hearing from your buyers. It's funny because if I think about success in general at Novatic, I attribute a lot of it to prioritization. So whether it's our ICP, like you said, whether it's prioritizing the way our buyers want to buy versus what everyone else is telling us. And even all the time when I get questions, I was just talking to someone last night at like a networking thing about, you know, how are you a team of one? And like, what's the number one thing tribute to doing all you do? I was just like prioritization. There's a good amount of stuff I'll say no to or the team just doesn't bring to me as much anymore. Because if it doesn't fit in my framework of valuable and different, we've now gotten to a point where I just won't do it. And I'm not saying go in on your first day as a new marketer and be like, I don't think that's valuable. So we're not going to do it. I couldn't have done that when I first joined. When you first join, you really have to show value and show that you know what's going to be valuable and what will make the highest impact. And then I think once you've proven that, that's when you can get a little more of the say of this is going to be the highest value thing we can do. This won't. I think it's the only way at this stage you can survive as a small team because without it, you're just going to be doing a million things. And I've, I've talked to a few other marketers about the analogy of it's like a restaurant where they serve everything. If you're serving everything. You're probably not making anything great. Same with your marketing. If you're doing everything, no one thing is probably going to be amazing. Yeah, I love that. I love that as well. And like the prioritization will have impacts across everything, your marketing initiatives, also your product too, right? Like I think we were very, very selective with what we built, where we focused on. And it was a little bit of measure everything twice, cut once with our product, which I think I was always pounding the table for like, build this, build this, build this, build that. But I think oftentimes it was a, okay, let's take a step back. Who is this impacting? Most importantly, is this extremely impactful, not just to help us win new deals, but for like our existing customers that are a perfect ICP fit that we want to make very happy, that we want longstanding relationships with. But as a salesperson early on, the worst thing you can hear is, you know, you're potentially losing a deal because of a feature, right? The immediate impact is going to be, please go build this for me. I can win us this deal right away. But to your point, Natalie, like that prioritization, I think is, is so key. And ultimately, again, as long as you're building things that your ICP love, and not just net new ICP, but your existing customers as well, I think you'll be in a great spot. Yeah, definitely. Now, since this is our last one, it is going to just bed die. It's going to be a little shorter of an episode, but I did want to leave some time, Ben, for us to reflect on the podcast too. Like, I mean, I never thought I'd be hosting a podcast. I've been on podcasts, never hosted one before. How to feel, especially doing it while drinking, which I tried my best to edit out when I'd say things that were maybe rambly or not the most articulate of sentences. But by the end of some podcasts, it makes it hard. Yeah. So I think I can be totally transparent and truthful about the whole podcast experience. So when Natalie brought this idea up, I would say that I was voluntold for this podcast and this role. Admittedly, there's a little bit, in my opinion, of podcast fatigue. A ton of SaaS startups are creating content, similar podcast webinars, this sort of thing. Every time I open my LinkedIn, there's a million different things. So I was definitely down to do it. I'm really, really happy we've done it. And I've enjoyed it way more than I thought I would. And my hope is that I'm always able to be extremely genuine, very honest. And I hope so badly more than anything, people listen to our podcast and are either moderately entertained for 15 minutes or learn something. Uh, my biggest fear is to push something out just to push it out as a checkbox of, yep, we created this sort of content. That was always my biggest fear with podcasts. So my promise to everybody, the audience is we'll continue to be extremely genuine, extremely honest, expose as much as we can of our failures and our learnings. And I just hope that it's entertaining or educational for 
a couple of people. Yeah, I think, you know, so, so many podcasts or so much advice is like, okay, your go-to-market team has to be aligned. And you're like, but what does that mean? Like, not only tactically, how do I get there, right? Like, we've talked about how we set quotas together and how we align on the numbers and how you have the qualitative side and I have the quantitative side. Like, we've talked about the tactical stuff, but I wanted to show, you know, this is what it actually means to be aligned. And it doesn't mean Ben and I agree on everything. It doesn't seem we always see eye to eye. There are times that we disagree, but more model a relationship of what it's like when sales and marketing is working closely together and show it is possible. That was also a little bit my hope of the podcast. Hey, you can like your sales counterpart. It doesn't have to be just misery. I feel like I'd hop on so many marketing calls and all they would do would be like, my sales team all just asked me for this and doesn't respect me. Like it was just a venting session about sales and just didn't seem like that's the way it's supposed to be. It's just hard for me. And I feel like for us to, to see it any other way, because obviously we have a great relationship. I guess the standard isn't you should feel like your growth partner, your marketer is the smartest person in the room or the person that you like enjoy the most just happens to, you know, be that's how I feel about about you here at Nevada, obviously, is like we have a tremendous relationship and partnership, but it definitely makes things so much easier because you are attached at the hip, whether you like it or not. Yeah, no, it's made this job so, so much simpler and so much more enjoyable. I feel like I've, I've seen firsthand and been firsthand where it just feels like constant arguing with sales or questioning what they're doing, having to see a hypervigilant eye so you're not focused on what you're doing. That's the other thing. I think a big advantage of working at Nevada that we don't talk about is we just generally trust each other. Like, yes, like I said, every now and then Ben and I disagree, maybe need to talk about something, but I've seen how much time companies waste when you don't trust one another and one department is trying to prove that another department is doing something wrong or it's not mm-hmm. correct or looking into what they're doing because they don't trust them. It's such a time suck. And the fact that, you know, people aren't vetting what I'm doing constantly every day gives me a lot more time to do work. Yeah. So that's another thing as a founder, like you should hire people you trust. And if you don't trust, that's a problem, but you shouldn't have to look over their shoulder every second because... They're going to be super stressed. That's not going to help them out. And they're going to be less productive. Trust me, when you feel like you have someone watching every single little thing you do, you're not as productive. I'd say the last piece as we kind of close it out here, Natalie, like the advice that I would give as well is like seems maybe a little counterintuitive because here we are making a podcast, but it is 100% okay if you are head of sales or if you are leading growth at a startup and your head's down. It's okay. You don't have to have a super loud voice on LinkedIn and pretend to be bigger than you are. You don't have to put on this sort of facade that you have it all figured out. Like startup world is an absolute grind and there is no shame in grinding it out and like keeping your head down and focusing on one call at a time, one day at a time. That's what we did for the first almost two years before we kicked this thing off. And there's no shame in that. I feel like there can be a lot of times like maybe this self-doubt or thought to myself, like, hey, I'm building a company. I need to be super loud. I need to be building a webinar or podcast and all these different things. And those are all very, very good things. But at the end of the day, your customers, your growth is more important than anything. And I just say too, I wouldn't have been able to do this podcast when I first started. I wouldn't have known what to talk about. I wouldn't have had stories or examples. I wouldn't have known Ben as well. So maybe wouldn't have felt as comfortable doing this. Like it is okay to say, to have these grand visions, but know when is the appropriate time to do them and spend the beginning, as Ben said, working and learning. Like you don't have to do everything right off the gate. And if you give yourself some time to work and learn, it's probably going to be better than if you're brand new to a company. Cool. I think that's it for the last one. So that's going to be a pretty short one today, but I have a huge ask for everyone. Please let us know what you thought about the podcast. If you want to leave us a review, I won't object. I would appreciate it. Feel free to just like LinkedIn message me if there's parts you liked or hated or have some feedback for. We really want to make this useful. And part of the reason we're taking a little break is to think about how we can make it better. But with that, Ben, any final thoughts on our podcast, working together, Nevada, life? 
drink is gone, bottle is gone, season one over, slide into those DMs, this advice, invite yourself onto the show. We'll have you on. And yeah, looking forward to, uh, to season two. Leave us a G2 review. Cool.